0: below the article. One person was furious that this officer had shot these men, and she said, that's all the more reason for people not to carry guns. Three men lost their lives over a petty crime. Then someone else responded and said, but they were armed in all capital letters. They said they got what they deserved, and as it went, the comments got angrier and more and more combative. Of course, this is a highly relevant topic right now because just 12 days ago, a teenage gunman entered Robb Elementary School in Texas. And if I've got the numbers right, I believe it was 19 children who were killed and two adults. And every time that there is an incident like this, like you remember a few years ago, there was the shooting at Fort Hood or the one at Sandy Hook. Every time this happens at Kindles. The gun debate. And if you will Google gun control right now, it is filled with pages discussing this. In fact, I pulled uh, this off of Google yesterday. Texas Democrats again push for gun control. The debate over guns unfolds in a rural Texas town. Support for gun control will likely arise in um, Uvalde, the name of the town where this incident happened. And then this last Thursday, President Biden made a speech calling for gun legislation, and it caused some very strong emotions to be stirred up in people. And all over Facebook, there's a debate that's going on, and all over the social media. And in the minds of people, some very legitimate questions are raised. And Christians start discussing this, the the gun control issue. But ladies and gentlemen, may I suggest to you this morning that Gun control is not the real problem in this country. You see, sometimes we want to shift the blame, but the problem has never really been guns. In fact, I want to ask you the question this morning. What was the weapon that Cain used to kill Abel? You know, when I think back to this, I always thought that it was a stone, I don't know why I thought that, maybe at some point as a child I had seen, you know, the old flannel graph, probably I'd seen something like this and and he was using a stone. I was preaching, or I was talking to a preacher friend one day on the phone, and he told me that he had always envisioned a stick. I don't know where we got this, because the Bible doesn't tell us. There is not a man alive who knows the answer to this question. Now, why is that significant? It is significant because in the example, the first example in the Bible of murder, the quintessential murder, God doesn't even see fit to mention the weapon. But what God does do is He talks a lot about personal responsibility. Now, this morning, I'm not going to talk about the intricacies of gun laws because there are good people who have differing views on that. But the point that I want to make is this sometimes we are missing the bigger picture in our society of personal responsibility. But you know, when incidents like these that have taken place, and especially the one recently have occurred, it causes Christians to ask some very serious questions. Christians will ask, Is it okay to defend my family? Is it okay even to use deadly force to defend myself or my family. And it brings up some other peripheral issues like, can a Christian serve in the military? Can a Christian serve uh, his country in that way? Can a Christian be a police officer? Can a Christian be supportive of a war? I want us to talk today and tonight on the question of the Christian and self-defense And we're going to spend this morning and tonight, because the lesson really ended up being too long. And so, instead of having a 50-minute sermon, I decided we're going to have two 25-minute sermons today. And we're going to see what the Bible has to say about this issue. When it comes to self-defense, and particularly the defense of one's family, and especially the subject of using lethal force, members of the Lord's Church generally fall into two categories. You have those who feel that it is a right and a proper thing, and then you would have those who we would refer to as pacifists. That is, they believe that it is wrong for a child of God to ever use lethal force. Now, I want to tell you at the beginning of the lesson that I am in the first category. I believe that it is right to protect oneself. It is right to protect one's family. I believe it is proper For a Christian, if he so chooses to serve in the military, it is a right thing for a Christian if he wants to serve as a police officer. I have a concealed carry permit. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, someone might say, well, Don, you obviously haven't studied this issue because if you have studied the pacifist position, you would see that this is wrong. You would see that a Christian should not be engaged in these things. I actually have studied this in great detail. I have read the arguments. I have studied what I believe are the most persuasive arguments that are made by some members of the church, but I believe that they have concluded incorrectly about this. Now, I know some good brethren who believe that this is wrong. They believe it is sinful to defend yourself, and especially if it came to the point of of using a lethal force. There are some brethren and some gospel preachers that I highly respect and I love, but I come to a different conclusion when I look at the Scriptures. And brethren, I feel rather strongly about this. I believe not only is it proper for me to defend myself and particularly my family, I believe it is an obligation that I have as a man to do this. And so, what I want to do this morning is this, and we'll continue tonight. First, I want to share with you what I believe the Bible teaches about a Christian's responsibility with regard to practicing self-defense. And then tonight, we're going to look at the arguments that are made on the other side of this. And we're going to discuss this very relevant issue that's in society today. All right. first, I want to discuss... Why I believe a Christian has the right and even the responsibility to defend himself, even if it involves lethal force. Here's the first thing I want you to observe, and that is Jesus told his disciples to carry swords. In Luke chapter 22, verses 35 through 38, this was the scripture reading this morning, the Bible says, And he said unto them, that is, Jesus said to his disciples, "...when I sent you without a money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything?" That is, when I sent you out to preach on the limited commission. And so they said, "...nothing." Then he said to them, "...but now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one." And so they said, "...look, Lord, here are two swords." And he said to them, it is enough. Now, first, I want you to notice that Jesus suggested to his disciples that they buy a sword. Now, the sword, of course, is a weapon. It is an instrument of death. It was a tool of injury. And they said to Jesus, look, we have two swords. And look at his response. He says, it is enough. Now, why was two swords enough? It was enough because they weren't going to be attacking a city. They weren't going to be engaging in an aggressive um, battle of some sort. What they were going to be doing was defending themselves. And so for that reason, Jesus said, it is sufficient. Now, why would they even need a sword? As they went out to preach, they were going to be traveling in some dangerous areas where there would be evil men who would attack them, who would rob them, who would leave them for dead. In fact, you might remember the account of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 10 about the man who was traveling the road to Jerusalem. And the Bible says that some individuals robbed him and beat him and left him for dead. That's the type of area that the apostles would be traveling. And so Jesus said... It is proper. It is right. As a matter of fact, he told them to get a sword and carry it with you for the purpose of protecting yourselves. I think it's also noteworthy that later when they come to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter has a sword. It's also significant. He pulls it out and he attacks uh, the servant of the high priest, whose name is Malchus. He cuts off his ear and Jesus tells him, "'Put away your sword.'" Now, it's interesting, Jesus does not say, Peter, what in the world are you doing with a sword? What he says is, put your sword away. He doesn't say, get rid of your sword. He says, put it away. Now, why does he tell him to put it away? Because the Lord's spiritual kingdom was never supposed to be advanced by the sword. Christianity is a spiritual fight, not a physical fight. Ephesians 6 and verse 12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so the sword has an appropriate place as a carnal weapon, but not as a religious one, not in the spiritual battle. So as they traveled to defend themselves, Jesus said, Carry your sword. When it came to his kingdom, he said, Put away your sword. We're not going to fight for the Lord's church. With the sword. Number two, why I believe a Christian has the right to self defense, it relates to the responsibility that a man has to his family. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, Jesus said, or uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith and he is worse than an unbeliever. Now, of course, I understand in this context, the Apostle Paul was talking about widows. He's talking about the fact that a man has an obligation to provide for the physical needs, for food, for shelter, for clothing, for his family. And he says if a man won't provide for the physical needs of his family, he is worse than an unbeliever. He's saying even non-Christians take care of their own families. Now, here's the thought. Was Paul suggesting that a man should protect his family from starvation and from illness, but not from rapists and murderers? Does that make any sense to you? You know, we could use the same logic and say even non-Christians protect their family when it comes to someone trying to hurt them physically. If a non-Christian will do that, how much more should a Christian be willing to physically defend his family. And so there is a responsibility that God has given us to protect those under our care. Number three, I believe a Christian has a right to self-defense based on what John the Baptist said to the soldiers in Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3, there were some soldiers who believed the message of John the Baptist and they responded to repent as a result of his preaching. What did John tell these soldiers to do? I want you to notice Luke chapter 3 and verse 14. The Bible says, Likewise, the soldiers asked him, that is, John saying, And what shall we do? What a perfect time for John to respond and tell them, It's wrong to be a soldier. You can't stay in this line of work. They said, What shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely. And be content with your wages. John did not say, now look, in order to repent, you've got to stop being soldiers. What he said to them is, be good soldiers. Don't abuse your power. Don't engage in extortion. Be good soldiers. And so it wasn't wrong to be a soldier. It wasn't a sinful thing to do. He said, do it properly and behave with Christian principles. Cornelius, of course, in Acts chapter 10, he was a Roman military officer responsible for commanding at least 100 soldiers. We have no record of him being told to discontinue his role as a soldier. After he obeys the gospel, it appears he continues in that role. Likewise, you have the Philippian jailer. In Acts chapter 16, he's not instructed to change professions uh, following his conversion. The fact of the matter is, we've got numerous... Officers and guards and soldiers who obey the gospel, never do we read about them being told that they had to give up this line of work. There is no passage where there is an indication that military service or police service is ever condemned in the Word of God. As a matter of fact, what we're told is they are ministers of God. Romans chapter 13. Here's the next point. Why I believe a Christian has a right to defend himself. Now listen to this, because it's going to sound a little odd, but listen carefully. There are not separate laws for Christians and non-Christians. Now, why is that important? Because it is argued by many people who will take the pacifist position, they will say that a non-Christian could serve as a police officer, and a non-Christian could use lethal force, but a Christian cannot. They would say a non-Christian can serve in the military and take up arms in defense of his country, but a Christian would be sinning if he were to do that. And so, a woman is being assaulted. And a police officer hears her screaming, and he comes to her rescue. Just as he arrives on the scene, the assailant has a crowbar in his hands and he is about to bash this woman in the head and the officer pulls out his gun and he shoots the man and he saves the woman's life. Did he do the right thing or did he sin? Some would say, well, it depends on whether he's a Christian because if he's a Christian, then he sinned. If he's not a Christian, then he's a hero and he saved the day. Now, friends, the point that I'm making is there are not two separate laws in effect today, one for the Christian and one for the non-Christian. If it is wrong for the Christian to shoot a man, then it is wrong for the non-Christian. If it is right for the non-Christian, then it is right for the Christian. There are some brethren who are pacifists who make this argument correctly when it comes to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. One of the errors that is taught in the Lord's Church with regard to marriage, divorce, and remarriage is they will say only Christians are amenable to the law of Christ. That is, they would say if a person entered into an unscriptural marriage before he became a Christian, they would say it's okay to remain in that marriage because Christ's law on marriage doesn't apply to you. They would say that the marriage law for Christians and non-Christians is different. Of course, that is as false as false can be. There's only one law for marriage for Christians and non-Christians. But some good brethren who will stand up against that and correctly point out there's only one law for mankind today, they will turn around and they make a similar argument that God has separate laws with regard to the issue of our present discussion. They will argue that a non-Christian can be a defender of his country, serving as a soldier. A non-Christian can be a police officer. A non-Christian can be a judge. A non-Christian could pull the switch on the electric chair. But they would say a Christian cannot do these things. Brethren, I am telling you there is only one law, the law of Christ, and whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, we are all amenable to the same law. What does that law say? This is Romans 13, 1 through 4. The Bible says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. I want you to keep in mind that those of the pacifist position will argue that a Christian cannot serve in this role, but the Bible says there's one authority, it is from God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. Now, I want you to notice that. The Bible says that a policeman is a minister for good for God. He says, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on those who practice evil. Now, what do we learn from this passage? Number 1, we learn that the government exists by the authority of God. Number 2, we learn that the government exists to do good and to punish evil. Number 3, We learn that when we resist the government, we are resisting God. Number four, that the government and government officials are authorized by God to use, quote, the sword. Now, to the Romans, the sword was a symbol of the power of life and death. The sword was an instrument used to execute Criminals. And so, when Paul speaks here about the government's right to use the sword, what he is saying is the government has the authority to take life when it is necessary to protect those who are innocent and when it is necessary to maintain order. And so, what that means is a police officer, a soldier, an executioner, if they are functioning in a governmental role, they are ministers of God. For good and we're supposed to support them with our tax dollars now what does that mean for instance there is only one law for mankind today if it is right for a non-christian to serve in this role then it is right for a Christian as well it is strange to me that some brethren would argue that it is okay for a non-christian to serve in this role that's defined as a minister of God But a Christian can't serve in the role that's defined as a minister of God. Friends, the Bible teaches the Christian has the right to defend his family, himself, his community, and his country. I believe the Christian has the right to use force to defend, even if it comes to violence or lethal force. Number one, because Christ told his disciples to carry weapons. Number two, because of the charge to take care of your own family. Number three, because of what John said in Luke chapter 3 and verse 14. And because number four, there are not two separate laws in existence today. One for the Christian and one for the non-Christian. And so I want you to suppose this. Suppose a pacifist came along and said, I agree that there's only one law for mankind today. I think that it is wrong for anyone to use violence to protect themselves. I think that it is wrong for anyone to be a police officer or a soldier. I think that God merely tolerates this. God uses evil men to accomplish evil deeds, just like he used Judas in his plan to betray Christ. Now, you might say, well, that's ridiculous. No one would say that. This is exactly the argument That is made by some who take the pacifist position. They say it is wrong for anyone to kill or to serve as a police officer, but God allows it. He tolerates that. Friends, I want you to notice, that's not what the Bible says. Romans 13 that we just read said, not that God tolerates it. It says that they are ministers of God for good. Brethren, if the armed forces sin when they use the sword to protect citizens than a Christian sins when he calls upon the armed forces to protect himself. If a policeman sins when he pulls out the gun to protect me, then I sin when I call the police to protect me. Why is that? Listen to this carefully. Because we are responsible for what we do through the agency of others. For example... If I ask someone to steal for me, or I hire someone to steal for me, I am still guilty of that crime. You know, the Jews called upon Pilate, and the Jews called upon the Roman government to kill Jesus, but in Acts 2.23, the Bible still says that they were guilty of that crime. We are guilty of that which we do through the agency of others. Incidentally, as a side note, in Acts chapter 23, when Paul's life was in danger, there were more than 40 people who were going to assassinate him. Paul called upon the Roman soldiers to protect him. Now, here's the question. Did he sin when he called upon them? If so, if a pacifist takes the position that non-Christians can use lethal force, then we all can. Because there is one law applying to all men today. If a pacifist takes the position that no one can use lethal force and that God merely tolerates that, then when we call the police for help, we, in essence, are sinning because we are doing it through the agency of another. Now, friends, if that's the case, then God has left us absolutely defenseless, and we are at the mercy of whatever evil this world does, and we have no protection whatsoever. That simply cannot be true. All right, I'm going to put a peg down, and I'm going to stop there for this morning. Tonight, I want to continue this, and I want to go through the arguments that are made by those who take the pacifist position, those who say it's wrong to protect yourself or to serve in the military, and the reason that some brethren... Take the position of being a conscientious objector. I hope that you'll be back as we continue this study at that time. As always at the end of every sermon, we like to offer the Lord's invitation in case there's someone here who needs to obey the gospel. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you need to know that the Bible teaches in order to, to become a child of God, a person needs to hear, believe, repent, confess, confess, and be baptized. Maybe this morning you want to do that. We are ready to assist you. Maybe you are here today as a Christian. Maybe you've got sin in your life. Maybe you want to make a public confession of that sin. We would be honored if we could go to God and pray on your behalf. This morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, won't you come as together we stand and sing the invitation song.